0: I'm not pulling out of the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work at Home Edition. So I love having guests on when I'm at home. So today's no different. We have Roy Graham. So Roy is in charge of story. Uh, So behind the scenes, uh, Magic has a story and somebody has to be responsible. That person is Roy. (laughs) (laughs) It's me. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so... The goal today is I want to talk about how we do story. We're going to use Wilds of Eldraine as our example. So we'll talk about the Wilds of Eldraine story, um, but I'm trying to give the scope of how exactly story comes together. So let's start. So when in the process do you get involved first? What What's the very first thing you'll do in making the story for a set? So Wilds of Eldraine being right. our example.
1: Right. So, um, this has actually been something that's changed a lot over, uh, like the history of magic story. And, and there have been a lot of, uh, different timelines at, at which, uh, the like story people come in. Um, sometimes it's been earlier. Sometimes it's been later right now. Uh, we're, uh, I, I come in pretty far in advance, um, without, uh, talking about any specifics, uh, we're uh, doing some like uh, story-building blocks way far in advance right now out to uh, the things that you talked about, actually, at... Um, uh, gosh, where was that? Was that the... Oh, in, Ma-
0: in Magicon in Barcelona.
1: Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, so, I mean, we're talking about those building blocks of story all the way out to uh, 2026, 20, 2027. 20, yeah. um, for Wilds of Eldraine, I came into the process... Um, I would say pretty early on in the vision design process. So people were, uh, or design was starting to uh, toss around like new ideas for um, the, the design, like the mechanical direction for everything. Uh, and uh, me and the other world-building people on the team started bandying around ideas about uh, what an interesting return to Eldrin might look like, especially after the Phyrexian invasion had you know just wrapped up.
0: So... To get, so people have some idea. Um, when we go into vision design, wh- what is known? Like, what, what what do you like? What part of the story is a known thing at that time? Like, what do we know about uh, Eldrain and vision design? What What did we know? Well, so I, I like
1: so if we went into vision design right now for uh, a set that's coming out in like two years, which again I, I mentioned that we've been like. Doing some story thinking on, we would know, we would have a a, a one to two page rough outline about uh, what we expect to happen, what the sort of major uh, set pieces are gonna look like, what uh, the major characters are are gonna be. We didn't quite have that for Wilds of Eldrain. So when we went into Wilds of Eldrain, figuring out the story, we knew uh, Will and Rowan were, were going to be the sort of main focus. Uh, of the set but we also knew that we wanted to introduce uh, a lighter hearted story um, something with more room for for whimsy and and less sort of darkness <laughs> since the Kenriths were uh, by necessity pretty uh, messed up by the Phyrexian invasion considering that they lost their parents we knew that a, a trip back to Eldrain would uh, have that sort of uh, the the like fun and and uh whimsical nature that we hit, saw last time we went there uh while balancing that with you know uh doing justice to the existing story by t- taking the Kenrith siblings experiences uh at face value seriously
0: so just to give people the idea this um at the time you started doing the story were you aware that Will and Rowan were going to lose their spark did you know that yet
1: yes yes at that point we knew
0: uh and personally I was
1: uh, I was very excited about that because to me, Will and Rowan are such perfect like Eldrain face characters. They're they're uh, everything that the the plane uh, wants to like do in storytelling in a storytelling sense. Uh, and and I also had a good uh, sense going into the story that this would be uh, Rowan's like Breaking Bad uh, as it were. I, I I knew that she had to. Uh, she had to have a villain turn in this story because that was something that we had been setting up for a long time and, and we didn't know when we were going to see yeah, her again. Yeah,
0: so, so real quickly, just behind the scenes stuff, I happen to know this, Ed, and this might even be pre-Roy. So when we first made the character of Will and Rowan uh, way back for Throne of Eldraine, and then they ended up, they ended up showing up before that in um, Battle Bond, but we made made the original for Throne of Eldraine. Um, the plan was she goes bad and kills Will like in the very first story, and then we didn't do that. And so they didn't, she didn't go bad and Will didn't die. And so anyway, it's so funny. Like we, her going bad has been part of her story for so long, but it didn't happen. it took years to happen, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, magic is funny in that way because uh, of the way that we we travel so quickly between settings and, and uh, Switch focuses on characters so much that it can be uh, tough sometimes to, Deliver on like a full character arc when we only get to see a character you know once every year at at most right.
0: So another thing that's interesting to point out is so when we made original Throne of Eldraine there was a lot more focus on the Arthurian part of the set than the fairy tale part of the set. Uh, you can listen to my podcast on Throne of Eldraine for all that story. But um, we knew when we were going back we wanted to have um, the fairy tales play a larger role than they had the first time. Um, and we knew that we we had the Frexian War, like, right before us. So talk a little bit about, like, how the focus on the fairy tales meant, like, we could sort of beat up on the the Arthurian part of the world.
1: Right, yeah. Uh, so we knew that, uh, like you said, we knew that we wanted to focus way more on the, the fairy tale components uh, of of Eldraine. That's kind of where the, like, wilds of Eldraine uh, comes from, and the, like, sets very... Uppermost uh, thematic ideas is is that it's you're moving away from the the courts and the knights and the kings and queens and the things that you'd expect from an Arthurian influence story and you're moving into. Uh, the, you know, thorny, tangled, strange wilderness of Eldraine, which is, of course, where uh, in that like boundary place, that's where fairy tales happen. Uh, and that meant that during the world building, we knew like, OK, the the courts uh, can be well and proper messed up. Right. Because uh, because we know that we're not going to need to see them as much uh and and this sort of like reflects a little bit about uh what I was mentioning earlier with the Kenrith story by necessity being uh a lot darker uh not only being you know Rowan's villain arc but having them both uh lost their parents uh we we knew that like the the world would have to reflect that also uh so in you know behind this the uh scenes of Eldraine the courts are incredibly messed up uh Embereth is uh, most of the knights, uh, all but a few died in, in a, a glorious, like, three-day fight against the Phyrexians that claimed, you know, tons of lives. Um, the uh, Lothwain was, like, entirely uh, completed. Uh, the um, floating castle was turned into a, a horrible f- flying uh death machine that rained oil and monsters down on the citizens of uh the plane and and so on and so forth uh but that meant that like there was you know we had cleared out a lot of a lot of world building safe space as long as we uh you know made references to the courts and and uh made clear through like flavor text and and titles and and um occasional mentions in the story and stuff what had happened to them uh we were really freed up to delve way more into the, the fairy tale side of things.
0: And the other thing that's important is one of the things that we, the reason we had done the, I mean, there's a bunch of reasons we did the Phyrexian War, but what, one of the things it did was it really allowed us to have this gi- gigantic event that would affect a lot of worlds. And that one of the things that we wanted to make sure people understood was the Phyrexian War is not a minor thing. It is not like, you know, I mean, I, I understand we had one set that was the Frexian War, but as far as the multiverse is concerned, like, this is one of the most traumatic things to ever happen in the history of time, right? Yeah, and, and we're going to be feeling that, uh, like, if, if you're keeping
1: up with the story, you're going to be seeing the ripples of that for the next, for, like, over the next year, right? Like, the next year of sets and beyond.
0: Okay, so, um, so we knew that the protagonists of the story were the twins, Yes. Um. So okay. So another interesting part of the story is you guys wove in a very fairy tale element to the story, um, the, wic- yes. the wicked slumber, right? That that's straight straight out of Sleeping Beauty. So what? How, how did that come about?
1: Yeah. So that was that was an interesting sort of, um, you know, I, I think anyone who is familiar with uh, the creation of, of stories and, and writing and all of that, uh, the the nitty gritty bits certainly uh, will know that it's not always a a progression of like, well, first you write the beginning and then you write the middle and then you write the end and you pretty much just take it in chronological order and see what happens. There's a lot of uh, discovery that happens along the way. There's, you do a lot of realizing at a certain point that like, oh, for this uh, to make sense for this character, uh, this other thing needs to happen earlier or or they need to have, uh, you know, a, a motivating factor that isn't present enough in the early part of the story. Um, and the Wicked Slumber was uh, something that we, so so when we started doing uh, vision and like early world building and figuring out the narrative uh, for Wilds of Eldraine, March of the Machine, you know, obviously wasn't out yet and the, the cards were still being uh, developed and uh, the stories were, you know, uh, being written. And we had like, a lot of um, outlining and, and a lot of like early drafts and stuff, but they were weren't quite final yet. Uh, and in the vision design for uh, Woe, it came up at a certain point that we were really interested in having this uh, problem across the whole plane of this, uh, you know, pervasive sleeping curse that could affect anyone from royalty to peasant, you know, fairy to, to human, whatever. And uh, that meant that at a certain point, we we when we were figuring out, like, well, how how might this have come about? Uh, why would this have have uh, you know struck the plane now of all times? We stumbled upon the idea of, oh, this is a countermeasure to the Phyrexian invasion that got out of hand. Uh, so we like the, to me, this is a fun uh, behind the scenes look at like the way that. All of our sets are, are creatively uh, tangled up and, and uh, can, you know, uh, and, and how we can like jump between uh, uh, the the kind of like siloed barriers of like, oh, the people working on mom are just working on mom and the people working on whoa well, are just working on whoa. Well. We went back to. Uh, Emily Tang, who is the the, the world, one of the world building people for March of the Machine, and said, "Hey, can we get a card in in uh, set on L that's about like uh, a, a big sleeping spell happening?" And then that uh, showed up too at the end of uh, the Eldraine uh, side story that Jenna Helland wrote, uh, where which most of that story is about like Rankle going around being a, a goofball in the middle of a, a terrible Phyrexian invasion. Um, but then you have this mysterious uh sleeping curse sweeping in at the end which uh again that's like a side story it's it's not uh it it's it's a hook uh that or it, it's a long throw for us right like we, uh we can pick it up a couple months later uh and immediately have this that, that's not element even of a long mystery throw, though, that's a
0: short throw
1: <laughs> you're right yeah i guess that's a that's a
0: we we've, a we've done long yard. throws we we've done like <laughs> Like original mirrored into to new Phyrexia. that was a little bit of a longer throw. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, um, yeah. So we, we got that stuff in uh, sort of in the middle of development for for March of the Machine uh, to help set up what was uh, we you know thought would be a cool direction for Wilds of Eldraine.
0: So one of the things that I know we talked about pretty early in vision design is the idea of taking the ten archetypes, the two color draft archetypes. And tying them to specific um, stories, and, and once again, you know, our version of the story, but different uh, fairy tale archetypes, if you will. Um, how much did that tie into how the story got crafted?
1: Oh yeah, uh, uh, large largely. <laughs> um, it, so I, it, very early on, uh, my goal was to try and um, <laughs> make it so that all ten of these fairy tale archetypes came up in the main story. Uh, so we so we would have like uh, Will or, or Rowan or Kellen, our, our new sort of uh, we'll,
0: we'll protagonist. We'll, we'll, we'll get to him in a
1: second. We would have someone, one of our protagonists encounter, like, and then they end up lost in Sweet Tooth Village. And then they like, uh, while put to sleep, uh, they meet uh, Neva in the sort of dream space of the wicked slumber and all of that. Uh, and that very quickly proved um, foolish. <laughs> uh, that made things way too difficult, and it made uh, what was already um, a story with a lot of demands on it being both, you know, like, fun and whimsical, but also dark and, and you know, about the trauma of war. And uh, it it proved too much of an ask. Uh, but yeah, well, so, I still... Uh, I do want to point yeah, out, yeah, so my
0: my article on Monday... I actually go through the 10 stories and you did take five of the 10 do take place in the mains. So, and that's, that's, you, you did half. That's not too bad.
1: It's not too bad. Yeah. I mean, we, so we, that was my compromise was half five out of the 10, uh, show up in, in those five episodes of Wilds of Drain. Uh, the other five are sort of implied as like happening in the background.
0: And, uh, and, uh when I read the story, my, my favorite take is, uh, you, you Into the woods did, <laughs> Uh So the, 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 there's a musical called Into the Woods that mixes all these different fairy tales. Uh, and the, the through line in that is the, the main character has to get three objects that are tied to three different stories. Um, and so, I mean, that itself comes from fairy tales. I mean, Into the Woods, and you were borrowing from the same source material. But it's kind of funny, like, how do we reference it? Well, we need three objects from three different stories. <laughs>
1: yeah I mean yeah. that's that's the that's seemed to me the most obvious uh structure to to base the story around there there's this great maxim i can't I can't remember who originally um introduced it to me but I, I think I read it uh in a, a jeff Vandermeer book called um uh wonder book that's uh like a craft craft book about writing fantastical novels it was mentioning how uh it, when when you're introducing uh something that of us like a certain level of complexity you have to choose where you're putting the complexity whether it's uh in structure um in prose or in like context setting world building whatever uh and so i think about that a lot where it's like oh man there's there's so many things going on there's at least two plot lines there's like two separate tones that have to be hit at the same time so i'm offloading the like or i'm i'm uh, cutting back on some of the complexity by structurally going with a really basic <laughs> uh, familiar setup of like there are three objects yeah. uh, <laughs> our, our, we gotta boot our hero off onto the road of adventure and have them find all three
0: yeah no it's it's nice and simple okay so now tied into this um, one of the reasons I mean there were multiple reasons but one of the reasons for the sparking the if you will is uh, the abil- or, the or, or the Omen Path. I, I guess the Omen Paths are part of the big thing. One of the reasons for the Omen Paths was it allowed us to have characters that weren't planeswalkers that could have some continuity of story. Um, and so, we'll be careful here because we're not giving away future story, but I will say the following. Kellen plays an important role in this year's story. So, um, Yes. And, and part I know of building your story was Kellen plays a role in this year. So, like, in the sets of this year, Kellen plays a role. And so, um, we had to introduce him and, you know, like, that part of this story was setting up who is Kellen and, you know, another big thing that you do that we won't get too much in today, but like, hey, all the different sets have to go together. So, like, the story has to be, like, it's not just this story, in this world, but like, Okay. After we have you know fairy tale world, we're going to underground you know Mesoamerican world, and then we're going to you know murder mystery Ravnica, and then we're going to Wild West villain world. You know, so and you have to make a story that makes all of those work together. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean it's uh so I've talked about this in a couple other venues, but um, the ideal magic story is so like take Wilds of Aldrin, right? Uh, on its own, it should be—you should be able to read all five episodes of that story and come away with it feeling satisfied, like having not read March of the Machine, having not planning to read Lost Caverns of Exile. you should still feel like you. Uh, well, I'd say get your money's worth, but they're free, so <laughs> uh, you should feel like you you enjoyed your time in that story, right? Uh, that's that's one level of it. Uh, you also want. Uh, the whole uh, year to feel not not like reliant on story to story, but but interconnected, feeding off of uh, each you know the story that comes before or the story that it's leading to. You want them to feel like by the time you get to our Wild West world, uh, and this I guess I'm just I'm not talking abstractly anymore. I'm, I'm uh, being specific about like the next you know when you see Kellen. And and I can I think I can say he will he because canny story readers will have just figured this out from what we've already uh, given them. Kellen will be making an appearance again uh, on the Wild West World, uh, and when he when he does, and when you see him there, you should feel like uh, you should feel like you've had you know you've you've been on this journey with him that that he's had a, a real arc uh, in and that that arc feels continuous, even though we have fairytale world into underground Mesoamerican world into murder mystery world. And uh, yeah, threading threading like a needle through all of that uh, is always like an interesting creative challenge.
0: And also, so the audience understands, each set has to have its own contained story, each year long has its own contained story, and then usually there's a three or four year larger story we're telling. Like there's just yes. yeah. like Russian dolls here. There's like stories and stories that, you know,
1: yeah. I've sometimes I, I think of it as the jawbreaker system because there are multiple layers uh, <laughs> and all of it must be good and delicious
0: and satisfying. Okay. So we have a character, Kellen, who I, I believe is for, forever. His code name was Jack. And so I always think of him as Jack, even though he, his name is I mean, like, I always know the code name, yeah. so he, that, his actual name is Kellen, but I know him as Jack. Um, <laughs> And so we, we we needed to introduce him, and so, you know, like, a lot of the story was introducing Kellen. So, what was, without giving away where things are going, because there's secrets and stuff to come, um, what did we need to learn about Kellen in the first, in Walls of Elgreen? Right, so, like, everything that, that the, and, and I know I keep
1: going back to, back to them, but it, it's an important way to, I think, understand where we needed Kellen to land as a character. Everything that the the kenriths were dealing with at this point kellen needed to kind of be the opposite of so while they were like war weary and uh, very sad and uh, you know, ex- experienced in all of these things kellen was not someone who had uh, he he had an interesting heritage right he um, we at the end of the wilds of Eldraine story uh, you you learn that uh Kellen's father was the plainswalker Oko. Uh so so he has a, a interesting uh, interesting heritage uh like uh you know uh a a blood that uh is not entirely human. He's he's half fey, But he himself has not he's not uh coming in as uh a like brave uh experienced badass adventurer right he's uh and and that's actually out of the ordinary for a lot of magic characters normally when we see uh when we meet like a new legend or something like that uh they're at the height of their like coolness uh and kellen was an interesting line to walk where we we knew that we we wanted him to have this useful uh idealistic uh sort of golden hearted optimism um, that hadn't been that. That only feels possible a lot of the time when when you haven't, uh, you know, had your heart broken
0: by the world yet. Uh, and that's why, by the way, the reason he had the name Jack, I think, is he is a lot archetypally like Jack of Jack and the Beanstalk, who starts the story very optimistic and you know, like he he hasn't experienced anything yet, and it's sort of like. And probably, I don't know if those know the story of, Jack, but like the beanstalk's the beginning. Like, there's a whole bunch of Jack stories. That's just the, probably the most famous story with that character. But he goes on to many, many different adventures and stuff. So, yeah. And and
1: similarly, uh, this <laughs> Kellen is you know intended for the same sort of fate. Uh, but starting off this story is is really this um, like he he didn't even there, there's a, a great line in the first episode of the uh, Wilds of Eldrain story about how, like, even the Phyrexians never came to Orangeshire, which is the town where he grew up, because there's just nothing there but <laughs> sheep. Uh, <laughs> so having Kellen be this, like, it, it, he's not a blank slate, because he has a lot of personality uh, that is... It, he, he has a lot of, like, character. Uh, he's not coming in just ready to be molded by the world. Uh, but he's, he's this... Having him be this like, you know, very youthful, uh, young uh, character so early on in his uh, sort of hero's journey uh, means that we have a, we had a lot of room to to like grow with it, right? We can we can really take him somewhere over the next year of stories.
0: So here's a question for you: um, Yeah, when did you decide to make Ruby his sidekick in the Wilds of Eldrin story? Oh, interesting. Um so uh Ruby
1: initially it was um a a marriage of convenience uh in me trying to cram in as many of these fairy tale archetypes as I possibly could into the main story. Um but then uh when I was talking to our writer for Wilds of Eldrain, uh Kira Arseno Rivera, uh we Pretty quickly figured out that Callan needed um, a foil uh, while he was out on this, um, you know, plane-spanning adventure, uh, fighting witches and uh, nearly freezing to death, uh, having all sorts of other misadventures. Uh, He really needed someone who had a more down-to-earth idea about what what the world was and what to expect and, and wasn't purely operating on... Like fairy tale protagonist logic uh, most of the time. Yeah. Um, there's a and, and Ruby sort of came out of that um, uh, along with you know, I think uh, with all of these ten um, story ta- or story archetypes that you know your article is going to talk about in more detail, uh, we were trying to put like whatever we saw the the magic spin uh, on all of them. And having uh, Red Riding Hood be um, not a sort of like helpless victim, (laughs) uh, but be a you know savvy, cunning, smart, tough, uh, you you know, like young girl, but uh, one who has her feet very firmly planted in you know reality and and refuses to uh, be pushed around by wolf or otherwise. became, uh, like, really appealing to us
0: when we were figuring that out. So, since we're, we're almost done here, any component of the story that you that we haven't talked about that you thought was, like, sort of a fun component that you're, you're glad that you got into the story?
1: Uh, there was... So, this uh hmm oh man there's there's so much there's so many little things. There's a lot of stuff that our uh author uh Kira sort of slipped into these early drafts that we hadn't talked about and and that uh end up being like so so fun. There's like a one off character named Royce who's like a weird spy- spider <laughs> uh she she appears as a weaver in the daylight and then when Rowan uh meets her again at night. Uh, she sees that she's like some sort of strange spider creature. Uh, and that feels like, that wasn't in any early outlines, that wasn't uh, in our, you know, 10 story tale archetypes, but it felt so uh, appropriately fairy tale-ish and strange. It, it felt sort of um, almost like a uh, it belonged in the Green Knight or one of those uh, sort of uh, old Arthurian stories where, Uh, magical events just sort of come about uh, if you're sufficiently deep in the wilderness.
0: You also put on a good point. We want to give the author enough room that the author can come up with stuff and make stuff and, you know, that the part of the whole process of working with other creative people is you don't want to tie their hands. You want to give them some ability to sort of do some of their own magic and make some own stuff, you know. I mean, we yeah, have to, exactly. Um, there's some parameters they have to give to make the whole story work, but we do want to give them a lot of freedom to sort of come up with cool stuff.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And and you know, the story is made made better by more hands touching it. In in this case, it's it's not it's sort of the opposite of the uh like designed by committee uh problems. <laughs> it's <laughs> in in this case it's it's improved by uh, you know, the the creative work of multiple people coming
0: in with Great ideas. So I will say just to the audience: if you guys have not read the story for Wilds of Eldrain, it's all online. It's all free. Um, and this is um, so I think we're calling this the um, the Omen Path arc. I believe is the first year. Yeah, that's um, it. And so there, the stuff here matters. We're going to see more of a Kellen. Uh, there anyway. There's a lot of things teased at that will come to be. Um, so if you've not read it, I I just want to say that part of having, uh, Roy on is to those that that listen to my podcast that aren't story people, Hey, there's a story. And, um, I know sometimes you just play and read the flavor text, but you you actually can read the stories. So,
1: (laughs) but anyway, and, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on Mark. And, and yeah, I just want to second that, uh, if listening to the story is more, is more your jam, uh, there are like, Audio versions of it coming out now uh, that uh, are so you can like put it on while you're while you're driving to work. If Mark doesn't have a, a new podcast out, uh, there's a there's a, a story podcast uh, led by uh, Harlison and, and Natalie, two wizard people who talk about the story and like kind of geek out over it in a fun way. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of fun ways to to get involved in the story if uh, you don't want to necessarily just pull open a browser and read it.
0: Well, I just want to thank you for being with us, Roy. Uh, and guys, we are at my desk. So we all know what this means. It means this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So once again, Roy, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Mark. And to all you, I will see you next time. Bye-bye.